I am so excited about this morning. We're going to start a, a new series that God has put on my heart about building strong spiritual families. How do we do that? I'm going to try to be as real and as practical with you as I can this morning. I, several years ago, we weren't long in the marriage. We still, the, the kids were still pretty small. And I decided to do something really, really special for Lisa, being working full-time, being a mom, doing all those things. I, I put together what I thought would be just a, a great uh, evening. So I surprised her. I went out and bought her clothes. I knew her size, whatever, bought her clothes. So she came home from work, and there, were brand, there was a brand-new outfit laying on the bed. And she was like, wow, that's so nice. Thank you for doing that. So she put it on, and then we left, and I had a hair appointment arranged for her. So we went from there to the hair appointment, and they fixed her hair all up great. It was, uh, it was uh, just, of course, beautiful to start with. <laughs> and then we went out, and we met. We, she just thought we were going out to eat, and we met some really good friends there, and that was fun. Each time, it was just fun watching the surprise on her face. And, it, and I, everything it was not just what would I like, but what would really bless Lisa and what would, what would help her. And so we went out to eat. It was good. And, and then we decided to go to this dessert place. It's in this top of this hotel. And on the way up, our, our friends said, oh, we got to talk about something. So we went up there. And then I got to the, to the, to the um, hallway where she thought the restaurant was. And she said, this doesn't look right. And I said, I don't know. Let's try this room and walked into a beautiful suite overlooking, the, this was in Virginia Beach, overlooking the ocean. It was just incredible. And, and then I, I had a, a gift for there and, and something really special on the bed. I'll just leave it that way. Um, uh, okay, I'll tell you, peanut M&Ms, because that's what she loves, okay? Remember, I told you this is what she likes. I, what were you guys thinking? Anyway, the point is, is that it was, it was just a great evening. I had, and she thought, well, what about the kids? I said, it's done. It's taken care of. And we just, it, was, it was just that one night. We got up the next morning and, and uh, you know, had to go practice and things. I think there was all kinds of things going on. But it was a great moment. And, 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 I, and I'm still reaping benefits from it all these years later. Okay, guys? There's a point in There's a lesson there. But let me tell you why it really makes a difference. And why it was really significant. It, it was because it was special as it was, it wasn't the exception. And sometimes we think, hey, I can create a moment. I can do this moment. And that moment is hindered a bit. That moment is, is not as good as it should be because everything surrounding it didn't support it. So imagine if I was treated Lisa really bad and, 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 and uh, said things that weren't right to her and all these type of things and then had this great moment and then went on. It, the moment wouldn't be as good. The moment wouldn't be as strong because like, well, why is he doing this? Is he trying to make up for something? Is this? Because the, what surrounds it or the context of what surrounded it wasn't as good. You see, we cannot live, and this is a first foundational understanding you need to see about how God can build strong families in your life, in your family, is that it cannot be just a moment. It's about momentum. It's about consistency. It's about building and building and building and building. My parents... Uh, I told you I'm one of six kids, and they made sure we were in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. That's when they really did church. <laughs> we were always there. And, you know, sometimes the hardest part was just getting us in the car 
Although I think it was easier then than, than now because there was no car seats, there were no seat belts. You just crawled in and hung around everywhere, and we never had a wreck once. <laughs> I think now we have wrecks because we feel like it's all safe. Anyway, that's my personal opinion. The point is, is that, that they were faithful in that. And what I saw in my father and my mother on Sundays was what I saw on Tuesday nights and on Thursday nights and on Friday nights and every other time. There was a time I remember that in that particular church, in that uh, um, sort of uh, tribe that we were, we were a part of, you would vote for deacons. And so my dad, for the first time ever, his name came up to be a deacon, and they, and they voted for that. And I thought, I thought, you know, my dad was pretty quiet. He's just a mild-mannered guy. He didn't say much, didn't, wasn't real boisterous and, and didn't put himself up front. And, and, of course, they both worked full-time. My dad worked two jobs, and my mom worked. And so we gave, but, you know, it was, it was very faithful. They always gave a tithe. They always gave even more than the tithe. They taught us that from the very beginning and were helping us understand what that meant to give and how important it is. And God built that in. And if I'm faithful now, and if we're faithful now, and if my kids see faithfulness now, it's because that faithfulness was been built into me. But I remember... They, they voted, and uh, he, he didn't get it. And I thought, what a, what a shame, because people see different things from the outside. But I knew the wisdom that was there. I knew that the, the faithfulness that was there and what he, he could have added. But that was, you know, as a son's perspective, look, looking up. And, you know, what's interesting about all this and the faithfulness there, and I look at the faithfulness, is my dad wasn't perfect. I remember t- times he was really, really upset at us. <laughs> and uh, that's because we were laying around and not cleaning the house or not doing our chores or whatever, you know. And there were other times he just he lost it. And, and I'm sure there were times that he would look back and say, I wish I had done this differently. And in fact, in my own life, it's still the same. I look back at raising our three children, and you still do it. I, I guess you never stop, right? <laughs> That's, but in, in thinking about that, I think, I wish I had done that different. And there's some, that, some things I'm just not going to share with you. <laughs> but I thought, man, that was wrong. I just should have thought better. I should have did it differently. I should have. Uh, and there's times that are, that are like that, and I still feel that pain or that guilt or that sense of failure as a father. I still feel that today. So this morning, I don't want to begin with all the things we've done right. I want to begin with the families in reflecting on all the things we've done poorly and we haven't done right. And how do we get a change? How do we change where we're at? How do we build that momentum? I don't want to build a mound. I don't want to build a moment. I want to build a momentum for my family, for what God is trying to do in my life. And I want to begin with the scripture in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. This is a very important scripture to me. It's the very first, many decades ago, sermon I ever preached from this verse. It was in college. I was just learning to preach. Some of you think I should go back, but that's beside the point. Uh, and I was just learning to preach, and I, and I remember this. And, and, and what is powerful about this verse is that God has made it one of my life verses. I think you should have a life verse. I think you should study and, and read uh, and learn the, uh, the, the, the Scripture, God's Word, so that there's a, one verse that God just sort of brings back to you. I didn't pick this as a life verse. This is just a, a first verse that, that I felt like I was supposed to preach on. But God kept reading focusing this in me, in my heart. Now, let me read it to you. It says, 
Forget the former things. Now, right there, we could just stop and go home and say, you know, don't go anywhere. But we could think that, that right there is enough. That right there is enough to change your whole life. Forget the former things. And you might think, how do I do that, Greg? How do I forget the former mistakes? How do I forget the former things that aren't so good, that's messed up my family, that's caused me to be where I'm at? How do I do that? It's simple. Just read the next phrase. Do not dwell on the past. Okay, because you can't change the past, but you can change whether you're going to dwell on that past or whether you're going to be fixated on that failure and that failure and what you're doing. Because this is what God says, I am doing, you need to see that I am doing a new thing. And that's really hard to do sometimes, is to see that God is doing a new thing. God says, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up, right now, right now, right now it springs up. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? That's different from see. So he goes in the scripture, he says, do you not see that I'm doing a new thing in your life? Do you not see that I can change this circumstance? Do you not see that? But if you don't see it, what you need to understand, you need to understand it, and that's perceive. Do you not understand that I'm doing that? Because sometimes, to be honest with you, we're looking around and we're going, Ikes, this is not right. This is not good. This is really, really hard. This is really, really broken. But you need to understand, you need to perceive that God is doing a new thing. He literally says, I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. God is turning what is a desert, what is broken, into something incredible, something amazing. And it's important that we understand, because we think, well, yes, God might be doing something good, but not today. Not, not yet. <laughs> and I want you to understand, that's not what the Scripture says. God is working right now, today, in your life, in your family, in turning things in a way that you can't even imagine. If you are willing to see it, if you're willing to perceive it, if you're willing to trust it. And, and it's not just about one day, it's about today. Now, now, everybody say now, now it springs up. Now it springs up. So this morning I want to talk about new beginnings. What are the new beginnings that God has for me in my life? And there's a subtitle to this message. But just really, in case, in case you're not sure what new beginnings is all about, how to start new when your family is in ashes. <laughs> just, just to put it out there, how to start new when everything has gone wrong. Or a lot of things have gone wrong. Or that son, or that daughter, or that mother, or that father, or that situation here, or those finances. What, when those are wrong, what do I do? How do I change that? How do I turn things around? In the, in the, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Ruth, and I want to focus on that. We're going to focus on it all this week because it is a beautiful picture of understanding how God can take families and turn everything around. And this story of Ruth is significant, and we're going to talk about it, but we have to get the context again. It's not about a moment. It's about everything that's around it. Understanding the context is critical. Understanding the context is very important. How do we understand what, what is this all about? So Ruth was written during the time of the Judges. So you have the first five books of the Bible, you have Joshua, and then you have Judges, right? So during this time, before the prophet comes on, Samuel comes on, and then King David, and all that happens later on, before all that, then you find this story. It's a real story about real people feeling real things about a very broken family and how God has been working and moving, and they didn't even see it. They didn't understand it. And that's what this uh, story is Ruth all about. 
Now, the beginning of uh, Judges is interesting because it says something that is foundational for us to move forward in this understanding what God is going to do in our families. And that's simply this. It says, during the time of the Judges, when Joshua, you know, who led the children of Israel into the wilderness, into the promised land, and took over all the land, during Joshua's life, as he lived, everybody served the Lord. And then when he passed away, everyone that Joshua impacted and touched uh, was leading Israel. All of Israel served the Lord during their life as well. But then there became what I call the third generation. And we need to think about this. The third generation all of a sudden came up, and in this third generation it says they didn't know Joshua. They didn't know these other leaders. And more importantly, they didn't serve the Lord. Why? And it says very specifically, they did not serve the Lord because they had not seen or did not know the power of God. They had not seen God work. And I'm convinced that the reason that we have a generation coming up that does not know God, that is seemingly further and further away from God, is they haven't seen it. They don't know it. They don't understand the power of God. When I, I remember seeing God move in, in my church and seeing God bring healings and see God do things, even in my family's life. And the same thing with my life. I was talking with my daughter Jackie the other day, and she's so precious. And, and, and as I was talking to her about different things, she, she said, Dad, I remember. I remember when we, you, we first moved here and you went to that school and they said, no, you can't have a church here. And how you said to us, we're going to pray, we're going to believe, and how you prayed and how you believed. And you went back, and then they said, no, you can't have a church here. We haven't had a church here. Literally, it's what they said. We haven't had a church here in 10 years, and we're not going to for the next 10 years. Because the principal did not like churches. Did not, even though it was free income that would come to the school, even though it would be beneficial to the school, they did not want a church. They said, no, no, no. And how I, you prayed, Dad, and you kept believing, and how all of a sudden at the last minute in just the craziest way, the principal said, yes, you can meet here, because no one knew that he was already planning to leave. But God knew. God's timing was perfect. And he, she says, I saw God move. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's it. Do you see? You see? They're seeing that. They're knowing the power of God. And it's important that we have God's power moving in your life. When's the last time you see God open that door? God created an opportunity for us to meet because we had no place to meet because I was willing to believe. I was willing with the, the church around us, the core around us, to ask God, say, God, this is what... I believe you want for us. Open this door. Open this opportunity. I was believing. God did it. I'm convinced with all my heart. God moved and changed the heart of that principle so that we could be there. But I was willing to ask. Are you willing to ask? Are you, where's the last time you positioned yourself and said, God, you got to work a miracle? And all your family were watching. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see what's going on. And then you see God move. That is the, 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 what the, generation, that third generation needs to see is to know that God moves in your life. And a lot of times, I don't think God moves because we don't position ourselves to allow God to move, we, we, it, which is more of just knocking or asking or believing or praying or confessing that God's going to do some of these. You see, the, the marks of a, of a generation that misses God is not just that they don't have leaders that know God, but they've never seen the power. 
My prayer is, and with all my heart, for this church, for our community, for our city, for our nation, is they see the power of God moving in our life. So in the story of Ruth, you have this really good family, a mother, a father, and two little boys. And they decide that they're going to leave Israel and move to Moab because a country nearby, because there was a great famine. They had land, they had property there, but they had no way to survive because of the famine going on. So he took his family and he went to Moab. Now you might be thinking, well, maybe God didn't want that. Maybe there's judgment on that. Maybe there's punishment for that. And it'd be, it's real easy for people around to start pointing fingers when things go wrong. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? Well, what did you do wrong? The disciples were constantly screwing that up in the, in the New Testament, in the gospel, walking with Jesus. Well, where was this sin? And Jesus is going, good grief. This is because God wants to move. It has nothing to do with their failure. So they go, and not long after he gets there, the father dies. He dies. All of a sudden, the family starts to break apart. All of a sudden, what they thought was just so good and so secure is when, when, the, when, the, when the father's gone, it, it's really hard. And there she is, Naomi, is left with two little boys. She does her best to raise them, and they both get married. And it's, it's long, not long after they get married, or, or, or a while after they get married, then uh, one son dies, and the next son dies. Now, about this time, if you're Naomi, are you thinking, God, you're trying to tell me something? <laughs> God, you're after me. God, I screwed up. God, we shouldn't have moved here. God, it was wrong to do that. Or maybe these young boys shouldn't have married, intermarried with uh, someone outside of Israel, you know, because the commentaries are full with that, although there's nothing in Scripture that says that they couldn't do that. And so they start blaming this and blaming this, and this is how Naomi felt. All of a sudden, this family, this wonderful family, turns to ashes. And so Naomi says, I'm just going to go back because maybe I have some family there that can help me or whatever. I'm, I'm just going to go back to Israel. But you two girls stay here. You're young. You're, uh, you can have a, your whole life in front of you. You can find new husbands. I want you to stay here. And they both said, no, we want to go with you. And she says, no, you don't understand. I have nothing. I've been reduced to ashes. My whole family has been reduced literally to ashes. You stay. One said, okay. And went back to her family. But Ruth was there. And Ruth said, no, no, I'm here. Because your family is my family. And your God is my God. And just a, a beautiful moment we have in all of this. But it was hard for Naomi to hear that. And this is what she said in, in chapter 1, verse 13. She said, it is more bitter for me than for you. You lost your husband. I lost my husband and both of my sons. It's more bitter for me because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, it's really interesting as I did some really study on this. The, the, there's no Hebrew word there for against me. It's just added to sort of give the context of what's going on. Literally what this word means is God has left me. God has abandoned me. And that's how she felt. And it might be for the same with you. You feel like, okay, well, if God isn't against me, he certainly has left me alone. <laughs> he certainly has abandoned me. He's not here right now. I don't feel him right now. It, it, my family is in ashes, and this is wrong, and my business fell apart. My marriage fell apart. Come on. This is how we feel when we think. So maybe God's up there. Maybe he's a good God, and maybe he does. He's not against me, but he certainly isn't for me. This is what she felt. 
This is what she's feeling, not knowing. And I'll, let me just jump ahead because I can't stand it. <laughs> Ruth was right there. Everything was, was already changing. There was already someone there because everything, the theme for this entire book is loyalty and faithfulness. And there is Ruth saying, but I'm not leaving you. I'm here. Something was already started. And we need to understand that because as we step into this, just a moment, when you say, what is God doing? You ever wondered about the will of God? Is this God's will or is that God's will? Romans 8.28 gives us a clarity of that that I think will help us. And he says, we know, that's important, we know you got to know it. It's got to be in here. can't be just be, I think, I hope, I wish. But we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to a purpose. Those are, who are part of his family. God works all things. Okay, so what does that mean? What, what, what is that really, how do we understand that? How do we understand the, the will of God? That God is working all things. The, the way to see that is God is repurposing. No matter what it is. No matter how bad it is. No matter how devastating it is. God is working when? Right now. Right now. And that very thing that you would you would throw into the deepest sea, that very failure, that very hurt, that very pain, that very disaster, God is working in that right now to change everything around. You see, this is what we need to understand about God's will. God does not do things to look good. And some people think that. God's going to let that happen. God wants that to happen. I mean, God, so he can come in and be Superman. God is not Superman. If there was a Superman, God would have made Superman. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? God is not trying to just show off. God is not trying to let bad things or cause bad things happen to you so he can come in and show you that he's good. It's not about that at all. The second thing we need to understand is that there is no plan. There is no plan that God is making to hurt you. There is no plan that God is doing to, to devise something that is evil. That's not God. God is good. Everything God does is good. Everything that God is working toward your life is good. God is taking every moment, every pain, every difficult, every struggle, everything right now and turning it and twisting it and making, repurposing it and recreating it into something good into something that we can't even understand. I have a good friend, Dr. Scott Wilson, who is a travels all over Europe and ministers with churches, very smallest to the very largest over there, helping them and pouring into them. But he's written several books, and, and uh, especially on suffering, and why do we suffer, and how do we suffer, and why is there suffering in the world? And just recently, along with that, that ties into that, he wrote a, a book that I just have really enjoyed called uh, the will of God. What is God's will? How do we understand God's will? And I love just this thought that he puts together so that we can understand the will of God. To understand the will of God for your life, you need to see just two really simple little things. You need to know time and attitude. Because you see, God is working all things. Romans 8.28 says that. <laughs> but you don't see it now, do you? You should perceive it because it's springing up, but we don't see it. So we have to believe it because we have to know that God is working all things uh, in it. So, but it just sometimes takes time. God is doing it. We, we, don't, we don't understand right now, but somehow, some way, man, this is just wrong. This just hurts. This is, and, and maybe it's all your fault. 
Okay, I'm not just talking about bad things happen to you. I'm talking about when we do wrong things and we give that to God, God is able to take that bad thing and somehow, some way, turn around, and it takes time. And, but the only way we can endure the time is during the time, you better have a good attitude. You better have the right attitude. And the right attitude is, God, I'm, that was wrong, I'm sorry, or uh, I wish that had never happened to me, but God, you're able to do all things, and you surrender those things to God. And God is able to take that and turn that around and repurpose that and they have the attitude to say, God, you can do this. Because there's something about having the, this attitude of trust that makes time go a lot quicker. <laughs> it's like, oh, Greg, it's taking too long. Okay, then change your attitude. You can't change the time. How many know? Have you ever tried? Doesn't work. <laughs> You're trying to make it go faster? What do we usually do? Screw it up more. <laughs> that doesn't work. But we can change our attitude and saying, God, mm, you're, gonna, you're in this somehow, some way. I know this is hard, I, and, and I'm not doing anything to belittle the pain or the tragedy of what happened. It was a tragedy the father and the sons were lost, but God was moving in a way. I'm telling you, I can't hardly stand it when we get to talking in the third and the fourth chapter of Ruth and, and seeing the punchline of what God did. It's incredible. In fact, you can read the book of Ruth over and over all month and just give you some context of everything that we're going to talk about and apply it to your life and say, God, what are you saying to me? What, is, what, what, what are you doing in my life? I love the story of Alsud, Norway. Alsud is, uh, is a, right on the edge of Norway. And in the early 1900, 1904, something like that, a fire broke out and just swept across the whole eastern district and burned every single building. The good news is, a hundred years later now, all of that has been rebuilt into the tourist attraction uh, in Norway. It is, it is the, the colors and the art deco, and just, it just, it has been, it's spectacular. Everything in that area burned down except one house, which is now a museum. And they call it the Miracle House. Because in 1904, on January the 23rd, the fire spread, but on January 22nd, this godly man that was happened to be in this house had, as he records it, said an angel came and visited him and said, there's going to be a fire. It's going to burn all around. But everything in this house and this house will be kept safe. Anything outside the house would burn up. He told his wife that, and she went nuts. <laughs> and she said, no, that's not right. And so she started to planning and and putting everything out of the house to get rid of it because she believed it was going to come but didn't believe it was going to be kept safe because how could you do that from a fire? And so she set everything out the, the back door to leave, and, of course, the fire moved. It was cold. It was winter. North wind blew and just swept the fire. Uh, fortunately, there was only one uh, uh, fatality in, in the whole town. Everyone was able to run, and they left everything behind. Everything burned up, the whole town. And this man sat in his house with his wife, fire all the way around it, flames totally surrounding him, and he was kept safe. All the furniture that she had put in the back that she couldn't get out all burned up. <laughs> everything in the house, so it was an empty house. <laughs> but it was, it was a, it's an amazing story. But here's what is crazy. In, in the midst of all of that, and understanding what is God's will? How can God take something so devastating? You see, this town was evil, evil, evil. It had a name for debauchery and decadence. It just, it just did it in 1904. And all of that changed, and now it's an incredible tourist area, and thousands of people 
uh, come, and it, everything costs. <laughs> Well, you know, that's the way it is. A few kronas here, a few kronas. You can go to this beautiful chapel, and it costs a few kronas, a few, a little bit of, uh, you know, dollars, whatever. Everything except the museum. This miracle house that had been redone and, and, and fixed up because it began to fall apart for over the 100 years. But it's the only one that has the original structure. And people come by the thousands and to this tourist area, and they'll go into that house, and they'll hear the story of how God kept. There's a witness. There's a glory going on that's far exceeds what we can even imagine. That will far exceed the, the lifespan of this man or anything else around him. I'm just telling you, God has a new beginning if we're willing to trust him. God has a new beginning. That God has a new beginning for your family, and it's springing up now. I love the story of Joshua. Joshua... Uh, uh, or, or Joseph. Joseph was uh, thrown into pit by his brothers, right? And they were to die. He was eventually sold into slavery, and he spent 13 years, 13 years of just being uh, rejected and everything going wrong until eventually God turned everything on a dime, and he's the second ruler of all of Egypt, only under Pharaoh. There's a big famine, and then his family comes down from Israel into Egypt and, and looking for grain. And there's Joseph. How does he respond to his family? How does he see this? And the insight we see in Joseph is incredible because he says, you intended this for harm. You intended this for harm. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, they, it was wrong. God did not say, okay, this is how I'm going to punish Joseph, you know, because he shares his dreams out of, out of place or whatever. No. But God took it and repurposed it and rearranged it, and all of a sudden, everything is changing. And not just was the family saved, and Joseph saved, and Egypt saved, but literally the entire known world was saved because of what God has been able to do. You see, God is moving. God is always there. God will repurpose no matter what you're dealing with, no matter where you're at. And you say, well, Greg, you don't know how bad that divorce was, or you don't know how bad that pain was, or you don't know how messed up my kids are, <laughs> or you might be saying, you don't know how messed up my parents are. <laughs> whatever, whatever that is, you can trust God because God is able to turn everything around. Remember I talked about context? It's the same with Romans 8.28 because in Romans 8.27, it says, he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because of the Spirit intercedes for God's people. So God is actually praying through us as we pray, so we'll pray the right prayer so that God can repurpose it and move it. How, how big is God? How able is God able to do that for God's people in accordance to what? The will of God. So you know what Romans 8, 28 is about? The will of God. This is what God is doing. This is what God wants to do if we're willing to trust him, if we're willing to believe. You see, Naomi had a hard time with this, so she comes back with Ruth to Bethlehem. you got to love this picture. <laughs> so this messed up family that's not perfect, that the world would say is really, really strange because there's this mother with a daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law is not even from Israel, and she's coming back to, and they come back to Bethlehem because God's about to birth something amazing. Does that sound like a story you know? <laughs> Is that something you know? Because here's Joseph whose who's fiance, Mary, oh, really? Okay, is pregnant, <laughs> and the world is saying, that's a messed up family, that's wrong, and comes to Bethlehem, and God turns everything. 
and birth something, the most amazing thing ever, which is Jesus Christ into our world. But Naomi's having a hard time in accepting it, and she basically says, call me Mara. You know what that means? Bitterness. She said, my name is bitter. <laughs> That's who I am. Because of all this happened to me, because God has abandoned me, because I am out there all along, all alone, and God has forsaken me. That's how she felt. But all along, she didn't realize Ruth was right there. <laughs> Ruth, my, my, my favorite Hebrew word in the Old Testament is hesed. And you find it, I think it's in verse 8, when Ruth says, I'm going to be here. It means loving kindness. It means faithfulness. And Ruth was coming on. See, God was already changing Naomi's life. God had a blessing already there. God was already re uh, putting this family together in the, in, the, in the most amazing way, and she didn't even see it. She didn't know it. God was already moving. And then we get to the last verse. Here's our theme verse. Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, <laughs> her daughter-in-law. And you think, well, this is not exciting. Wait, wait. Arriving in Bethlehem at the at the barley harvest was beginning, just as harvest was coming. And there's a, a powerful foreshadowing. There's a powerful moment right there. Harvest was coming. She didn't even realize the harvest was already there. The harvest was already changing. God was already moving in her family, and she didn't even know it. God was orchestrating all these things if she just continued to trust and believe in him. God was moving. The foreshadowing was already there. God was already bringing something new in her life. Something new for your family as well is right here, is right now. Do you believe? Do you believe? Let me just give you the one point. Here it is, one point, one simple thought. That's it. <laughs> I think one point sermon. You know, what's going on? <laughs> here it is. Begin something new. Begin something new in your family by believing for God's new beginning. You see, that's a very simple thing, but you have to believe God is able to take and repurpose what was broken, what was messed up, what was hurting, what was not right, and turn it around. And if God can do that in Ruth's life, in Ruth's uh, family, and Naomi's family, he could do it in yours. That's what it really is all about. In the middle of all of her bitterness, in the middle of all of her ashes, God was saying, I got a harvest coming. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? Don't you know that God is moving in your life? You think, I don't see this. It doesn't happen. It's not turned around. And God's saying, I'm moving right now. If you trust me, if you realize that God is moving, that God is touching your family, come on, make a beginning. Walk into that harvest. She was walking into a harvest she didn't even realize. Do you realize you're walking into the harvest? You think, great, how do I do that? How how do, how do I get this, what you're saying? How do I turn this around? You need to walk into the harvest. That just means be, keep being faithful. Keep loving your wife and your husband and your children and trusting God. Keep stepping in there and watch and see that God is doing in your life. God's turning all of this around. This isn't just a, a, a mind game. You know, this isn't like the matrix, you know, where you look at it and say there is no spoon. So you can bend the spoon so there is no spoon, right? It's not, it's not mind games. No, 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 no. This is, this is God saying there is a harvest. It is something so much bigger than that, so much greater than that, so much that God is moving if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to believe. You say, Greg, how can I do it? And I'll just end with this. I love Ephesians 4 and 22, 23, and 24. If you put those together, this is what it says. I just condensed it down on our scripture. It says, put off the old self so you can put on the new self. 
You think, well, that's easy to do, Greg. How exactly do I do that? <laughs> I love the thought that comes with this, that you can change your attitude like you change your clothes. Literally, that's what this scripture says. Put off the old to put on the new. And you think, Greg, how do I do that? Oh, there it is right in the middle. By putting on a new attitude in your mind, in your heart. And the new attitude is God's moving. God's able to touch my family. There's a new beginning. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that God's able to do that and see what God is able to do in your life. You received the word this morning. Come on, give God thanks. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray with all my heart that no matter where our family is, no matter what we feel, whether we feel like it, it's it's God actually trying to get us or and, and punish us because we we did something wrong or maybe we did, some, did do something wrong or whether we feel like God has just abandoned us, God has left us alone and then we're on our own somehow making through this. Whatever we're feeling, God, I pray that with all my heart that we would have that scripture to realize that we're walking right into the harvest. God has not abandoned us. That we can trust God. That Romans 8.28 is true in our life, God. That he can take things that are that are messed up, that are wrong, that are broken, that are hurting, and turn them around into something that is amazing. Only you can do that, Lord. And I pray that for every single person here. God, I, I ask you to touch every single heart. You know every single person in here, heart by heart, person by person. You know their life, their struggles, their pains their disappointments, their fears, their guilt, their shame. And so, God, I just pray you'd move and touch every heart and let them know, God, no matter where they're at, there is a new beginning for them. There is a new beginning. If I can just take a moment. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know that new beginning, maybe you've never had that new beginning and Greg, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know what that means. It simply means that you give it and control to him. Your life, your heart. You've been trying and trying and trying to get it right. This is not what God wants. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. Trust him. Because he will take everything. It doesn't mean you'll never have a hard day in your life. It just means that in every hard day of your life, he will be there, turning it around for the good. So I want to ask everyone here or anyone in watching online right now in the sound of my voice, if your heart isn't right with God, you need to give it and make a new beginning. And this is what you do. You just pray with me and say, God, come in my life and forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins. God, I've... I've messed it up. I've gone the wrong way. I've done my own thing. And now I need to give my life to you. Take my heart. Take my will. I surrender it to you. Forgive me of all my sins and make me new. <laughs> Bring a new beginning into my life. In the name of Jesus. Amen.